welcome to the HODLcast, your source for Bitcoin inspiration and education. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the HODLcast. Today is September 7th, 2020. Happy Labor Day. Um, I'm back after a little summer break from the podcast, and uh, today we're going to talk about Florida's interpretation of Bitcoin as money. So if you're a cryptocurrency company in America, chances are you have sought, or maybe you should seek guidance as to uh, how the Florida money transmission license requirements apply to your company. Most companies look to avoid this license as it's costly, time-consuming, and for many cryptocurrency companies, it's been considered as uh, largely unnecessary. Yet failure to apply for the license when it is required can prove to be a very costly mistake. Um, You just have to look at the Espinosa case to see why. So a little, I guess we'll go over a brief timeline of the uh, Florida money transmission regulations as applied to cryptocurrency, and then we'll go into a little more detail on each of them. So the the requirement for a money transmitter license was enacted in 2005. It had a stated goal of making Florida businesses more competitive. In 2014, we saw uh, Michelle Espinoza, who was a local Bitcoin.com seller, He was charged with unlicensed money transmission and money laundering, and he argued that Bitcoin was not money on both counts, and he won. The state of Florida did choose to appeal, and in 2016, he won again, where uh, the esteemed Judge Poehler had the famous quote, you know, uh, no one can understand what this is, but I'm not going to regulate it as as money, basically, but... uh, the, the two-party, what, what was ultimately held there is that a two-party Bitcoin sale is not considered money transmission. And then after that case in 2017, Florida updated its money laundering language to include very explicit language adding Bitcoin and cryptocurrency so that it was very clear if you're laundering money, it doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin or um, government issued or any other cryptocurrency. Then in 2018, Florida appointed a crypto czar, the Florida Blockchain Business Association was created, and uh, a bill for a blockchain task force and fintech sandbox, um, you know, came onto the docket. And also in 2018, the Office of Financial Regulation issued an opinion stating that a two-party Bitcoin sale, which they were actually looking at a Bitcoin ATM company, they said that that type of sale is not money transmission because uh, there's no third-party transmission. Then in 2019, the uh, Espinosa case was reopened and they the third District Court of Appeals in Florida held that two-party Bitcoin sale is actually money transmission. And then in 2020, the uh, Financial Technology Sandbox was created for money transmitters, payment instrument sellers, and lenders of consumer finance loans to try and streamline the, uh, the application a little bit. So, you know, uh, I guess we'll start with federal registration as a money transmitter. 
So cryptocurrency companies, they're often required to register at the federal level through FinCEN as a money service business. And usually this takes place under the category of money transmitter. And a subset of a money transmitter can be an exchanger. So FinCEN issued guidance on cryptocurrencies and said anyone that's they, they basically broke money transmitter into three categories for Bitcoin related um, use of, of it or application. But uh, an administrator and an exchanger are required to register and then a user is not required to register. So an exchanger is anyone that will take fiat in and give Bitcoin out. So, um, you know, typically that that's going to be anyone operating a Bitcoin ATM. Uh, any kind of cryptocurrency exchange, an over-the-counter trading desk, or even individuals in the business of selling Bitcoin in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. And the turning factor is usually whether the company exchanges one type of money for, um, you know, another, like a cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency or fiat to cryptocurrency. And there are some exemptions for banks. Um, they're already regulated. Non-custodial wallets, they don't have to register with FinCEN because they're not actually taking custody and performing an exchange. And then persons registered with the SEC or CFTC, they're exempt from MSB registration because they're already registered with those other federal agencies and there there's a memorandum of understanding between them so any information can be easily shared back and forth um, the tangible costs of federal registration include primarily the legal and compliance time to prepare the registration documents and the accompanied you know compliance package so there's no fee from fincen to register it's just a matter of filling out this form and submitting it to them letting them know that you're doing business and what state you're doing it in what your bank account information is your business address things like that are required and then the intangible costs include subjecting yourself to a Title 31 audit or possibly subjecting yourself to that. It's an audit from the IRS. FinCEN is an arm of the IRS and it's, uh, it can be pretty in-depth, <laughs> but, but fairly uncommon. And then there's also the bigger challenge or the more, the more common challenge or um, intangible cost of becoming a money service business is then you lose access to a regular business bank account and you're required to get a money service business bank account, which banks consider this to be a really high risk industry. It's, uh, it's, there's only a handful of banks that will offer banking services to MSBs. There's been Operation Choke Point, which I've written a blog about a few years ago now in 2018, but it basically made it difficult for banks to get insurance when they have clients that are, you know, in the sordid business of money services. And so a company typically has to pay a million dollars to get a bank account um or have the million dollars sit in the account or do 300,000 worth of transactions um each month so it's it's no easy task to get a money service business banking account 
And then there's also a social cost to, to being in money service business. And that's that you have to have your users um, fill in their identity information. You have to know your customer if you're a money service business, which means performing an OFAC check on each person's name and filing a SAR, suspicious activity report with FinCEN if the customer does anything suspicious and filing currency transaction reports if they're dealing in cash over $10,000 in 24 hours. Uh, then there's the Florida money transmitter license, which is, you know, what we're really honing in on today. And at that state level, there's approximately, so over, across the whole country, there's about 10 states that require a money transmitter license for crypto companies who are doing two-party exchanges. Um, that's, as I described, what you can really think of it as a Bitcoin ATM transaction there, or an OTC, but taking money in giving um, Bitcoin back or taking one form of Bitcoin and giving another different currency back. So tether to Bitcoin would be considered one of those type of transactions or any, you know, any, any two-way exchange is what we're looking at. So of those 10 states that do require additional licensing to the federal license, most of them allow the company to apply on this streamlined website, the NMLS system or nationwide multi-state licensing, but other states require, you know, in a different application package be prepared, you know, sp specifically dedicated to their state. And Florida is one of those states. So if a company does find out that they need the Florida license, the application has to be submitted directly to Florida um, they have to pay the application fee to Florida, obtain a Florida surety bond, and that bond has to be in the amount of money that's going to be transmitted each year, which is also, you know, at the time of the application, a very difficult number to ascertain. And the company must also submit their fingerprints, a criminal background, regulatory enforcement background check, and any uh, litigation disclosures, and they also have to fill out an attestation form. Once they would receive the Florida license, a licensee must submit certain notices to the Florida Office of Financial Regulation, also known as the OFR. Um, these reports include quarterly reports, audited annual financial statements, a securities device calculation form, and documentation to increase collateral device if applicable. So that's like, if they've gone over their volume of expected um, transactions for the surety bond, then each year they must, um, you know, increase the surety bond based on the size of the transactions. And then the licensee is also required to maintain a minimum net worth of 100000 so that has to be shown on their audited financials. So you can see why a company would seek to avoid this um, fairly cumbersome process if it's not necessary for them. So you know that the Florida money transmission money transmitter license was enacted in 2005 and uh, it authorizes the holder to transmit currency monetary value or payment instruments either by wire fax electronic transfer courier the internet or through bill pay services or other businesses that facilitate 
such transfer within this country or to or from locations outside of this country. So when they said monetary value in that act, they mean a medium of exchange, whether or not redeemable in currency. And when they said a payment instrument, they mean a check, draft, warrant, money order, traveler's check, electronic instrument, or other instrument, payment of money, or monetary value, whether or not negotiable. So it's pretty broad language. It's easy to see how Bitcoin could you know, meet that definition, but there's been a lot of argument back and forth of whether it should or not. Um, so, you know, the, the initial goal of this license was, uh, was to create increased efficiency and clarify and reduce regulate, sorry, increased efficiency and clarity, and also to reduce regulatory costs our current understanding so and the OFR the office of financial regulation they they are in charge of that license and they have the final say on who it applies to um, and the current regulatory understanding so the OFR issued a declaratory statement in 2018 to a Bitcoin ATM provider and uh, they stated that the license is not required in order to operate a Bitcoin ATM in Florida. The OFR said Bitcoin ATMs facilitate transfers of cryptocurrencies for immediate cash with no third party involved. And so the direct quote from them is that because the petitioner, meaning the ATM company, uh, because the petitioner's transactions occur directly between petitioner and customer, with no third parties involved, and petitioner has complete control over the transactions. Petitioner is never receiving currency, monetary value, or payment instruments for the purpose of transmitting the same. Consequently, petitioner is not acting as a money transmitter, and license for these activities is not required under Chapter 560 of Florida Statute. However, this uh, conclusion, so that's a great conclusion for most Bitcoin companies uh, that don't, as long as they're doing a two-way transaction, they don't need this license. But uh, in January of 2019, the Espinosa case got reopened and they found a different conclusion. And we'll get into that very shortly here. But I just wanted to touch on also, so the Florida Blockchain Business Association, it was established in 2018. So 2018 was a pretty good year for Florida, um, you know, in terms of regulatory activity in this space. The, there was a crypto czar appointed and they were tasked with enforcing regulations to protect investors. And um, also a Florida Blockchain Business Association was established. And they were, they, you know, they had the intention or the goal of passing the blockchain task force or creating a blockchain task force and uh, in the legislative session of 2018. And they want, uh, they pushed for the FinTech sandbox, uh, another bill that we'll talk about later as well. Um, but basically the task force was supposed to investigate the benefits and costs of blockchain technology and come up with a report on it. But ultimately, uh, they did create the task force, but as far as I know, there was never a report written. Then the Espinoza case. So 
uh, you know, this case has really been ongoing for a long time. And uh, it started in 2014. Espinoza was charged with unlicensed money transmission when he sold his own Bitcoin to an undercover officer. So he met with this undercover officer, I think four times in total, and he did three transactions. And they were all small, uh, you know, amounting to around 1500 US dollars in total in value until the fourth transaction where the undercover officer attempted to uh, buy $30,000 worth of Bitcoin and he brought cash and Espinosa felt the money and realized it was fake and didn't go through with that transaction. But uh, because of the $1,500 worth of transactions, the undercover officer made it very clear he wanted to stay anonymous. He made it very clear that the money was uh, coming from, you know, illegal sources. It was being used for credit card um, purchases on the dark web or something of that nature. So Espinoza gets arrested and charged with, um, you know, unlicensed money transmission and money laundering. And the trial and his argument at the first trial court was that Bitcoin wasn't money for the purpose of both statutes, the money transmission statute and the money laundering statute. The state appealed the case and then uh, in the appeal court, which took place in 2016, Judge Poehler, she said that this court is unwilling to punish a man for selling his property to another. She explained when his actions fall under a statute that's so vaguely written that even legal professionals have difficulty finding a singular meaning. So Espinoza is, you know, done with his charges, it looks like, and Florida took a step to update the language of the money laundering statute. At that time, they added specific language that, that made it clear Bitcoin is money for the purpose of analyzing money laundering. They could have easily added Bitcoin to the money transmission statute at that time as well, but they chose not to. Um, then in 2019, Espinoza's criminal case was reopened, and the Third District Court of Appeals said that a person in the business of selling his own Bitcoin for cash is a money transmitter and a payment instrument seller under Florida law, and therefore required to be licensed as a uh, money service business. And to reach this conclusion, they... Florida Appellate Court distinguished the text of Florida's money service business statute from the federal statute because uh, the federal statute, it actually includes a third party requirement. It says acceptance of currency funds or other value that substitutes currency from one person and the transmission of currency funds or other value that substitutes for currency to another location or person by any means. You know, it was 2019 and the Florida court could have looked at FinCEN's other guidance, which it doesn't actually require that third party requirement. But anyway, that's an, uh, enough for a whole other, um, you know, blog or, or podcast on. But, um, but the Florida statute, it reads that the you know, the, it has to be for the purpose of transmitting the same by any means. 
and the appellate court interpreted that to mean that there's no third party transmission required. Uh, they they said that, you know, basically Espinoza's act of exchanging, you know, Bitcoin for fiat currency with the undercover officer and he advertised himself as a business, you know, that was enough to to be considered a transmitter. And then, uh, so then the FinTech sandbox came, came forward or, you know, was enacted on July 1st, 2020. And this, the purpose is basically allows licensed people that should be licensed. So if you have an innovative financial product, they want to be, make it easier for you to offer it to consumers, but still, you know, you still have to register. You just, it's not quite as cumbersome of a registration. And the people that can apply to be in the sandbox are money transmitters, payment instrument sellers, and uh, lenders of consumer finance loans. So pretty much if Bitcoin companies start applying here, they might be, you know, automatically saying that they're money transmitters in Florida when the Office of Financial Regulation hasn't actually said that. But Anyway, Florida has made, you know, quite a few attempts to streamline or clarify this money transmission license as it applies to Bitcoin, but there's still a pretty big distinction between the Office of Financial Regulations opinion on the subject and that of the appellate court. Um, and while the OFR does have the final jurisdiction over the license, they haven't issued any new declaratory statements since the 2019 Espinoza case. So it, it has left um, legal professionals a little bit up in the air as to, you know, which direction to advise companies. And, um, you know, if Florida were to actually enforce the Espinoza interpretation, Florida would become one of the few states that requires a company to have this separate and costly state license in addition to the FinCEN reg registration. Um, and, you know, maybe Florida could look at some of the other more progressive states in this matter, in this, on this issue, like Wyoming, for instance, they've enacted 18 virtual currency and blockchain friendly regulations, including creating its own chancery court to hear cases on the matter. And the Chancery Court's primary purpose is to provide a form for streamlined resolution for commercial business and trust cases. So if Florida had something like that, you know, maybe we put Judge Polar on it, but, uh, you know, it, it, basically you're going to get someone that's uh, very familiar with the, the, you know, quite highly nuanced distinctions between each of the um, business models or flow of funds with, with Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, Texas, they, they crafted a really strong distinction between virtual currency and sovereign currency in their finance code. Uh, the wording they used is, they said, because neither is centralized, virtual currencies nor cryptocurrencies are coin and paper money issued by the government of a country. They cannot be considered currencies under the statute. So, you know, because they're not issued by the government, they're not considered currencies. You know, it is very challenging when creating thoughtful regulation around this new technology. You know, it's very important for the government to balance the benefits of fostering innovation against, you know, the challenges of adequately protecting consumers. 
So, you know, in my personal opinion, I think the OFR got it right on their ATM memo where they said there's no license required for a two-way, two-party transaction. Um, but, you know, I'd love to see Florida enact its own court of chancery so that we could have somewhere that's just dedicated to hearing matters related to cryptocurrency and, and you know, hopefully develop some clarity and maybe become a thought leader on the the issue for other states to look to. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Welcome to the HODLcast, your source for Bitcoin inspiration and education.